is what your life like Try to live the life right People really know you push your buttons like type right This is like a movie but it's really very lifelike Every single night right Every single fight right I was looking at the grammar and I don't even like lights I was screaming at my daddy told me it ain't Christ like I was screaming at the referee just like Mike Looking for a bright light Seagull what your life like Riding on a white bike Feeling like a sight fight Pressing on the gas Supernova for a night light Screaming at my dad and he told me it ain't Christ and welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Deliberation Sports Podcast. Coming to you guys, wherever you may be, however you may be listening, man, we definitely appreciate y'all for checking us out once again, and we're glad to be back here in the building. A lot of stuff to get to on this edition, so y'all stick and stay with us, man. Of course, I got the Deliberation Sports crew here with me, my guys Evan DeVone and Justice Bowden, and we're going to chop it up as only we know how, so y'all stay tuned for all of that, man. But first, kick it to my man Justice to let y'all know how you can follow all things Deliberation. Yeah. They can follow us on Twitter at Deliberation SP1, Instagram and Facebook at Deliberation Sports Podcast. We also have the Facebook group, Deliberation Sports Community. And to subscribe, fans can do so at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Pocket Bean, and more. Anywhere that podcasts are hosted, more than likely you'll hear the Deliberation Sports Podcast. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Glad to be back in the saddle again. And, man, this is a perfect time to to do so. Uh, as we record right now, man, just before the Thanksgiving holiday, you know, to get y'all pre, prepared for, uh, for all that that's coming up, man, the sports world. But this past weekend... We had quite a quite a game. Want to kick it off with some Tiger basketball, Memphis Tiger basketball. That is, uh, that's been in the center, really, of the sports universe when it comes to everything that's been going on around the program with Penny Hardaway, the number one recruiting class, and then the James Wiseman drama that is uh, kind of overtaking everything. But now that uh, we have, uh, you know, the punishment that's been settled out, you can kind of. I guess focus on the games, but a uh, big game this weekend was Memphis versus the Old Miss Rebels. Always a rivalry. Uh, the Tigers come out on top, eighty-seven, eighty-six, in a nail biter. Precious Achua, uh, really his coming out game. Um, I think it's safe to say uh, coming out of this with the first game without uh, James Wiseman officially. But um, I'm gonna kick it to Evan first, man. What did you think about? Uh, this game and everything that went with it. Well, I thought it was a really good game uh, by the University of Memphis, uh, considering the fact that you didn't have the number one player in the country, uh, James Wiseman. You didn't have a top 60 player in Memphis Keonis, who is going to be out about three to four weeks uh, with some uh, blown issues in his hand. I didn't get the uh, exact injury uh, report on him, but he will be out for a few weeks. So he'll miss that NC State game, that Tennessee game, and probably that Georgia game also. Uh, well, likely that Georgia game also. So he's going to miss some big games. Uh, but I thought they played really well. Uh, it was Precious Achua coming out party, 25 and 11. DJ Jeffries, who's been the most consistent Tiger on the team uh, when James Washington wasn't playing, he had 23 points and four rebounds. Um, Tyler Harris and Alice Lomax stepped up, which they're going to have to step up uh, with James Wiseman and Lester Keone as being out. They had 15 and 14 respectively. And we saw Tyler get out of his shoe slump. 
Uh, Memphis has been desperately looking for a three-point knockdown shooter. We know Tyler is capable of that, and he showed that Saturday against the Ole Miss team that is well coached by Kermit Davis. They were undefeated coming into the game, and uh, that's going to be an NCAA tournament team. Uh, make no mistake about it. That team came into a top 20 opponent arena and lost by one point. So it's safe to say that that team is going to be an NCAA tournament team. Now, what you do like is you didn't have James Wiseman. You didn't have Lester Key on there. Michael Dandridge hadn't played all year, which he was cleared to play today. So we'll see him. And I think he's going to be a big asset to the program. We'll see him soon. You didn't have Michael Dandridge and you don't have Isaiah Stokes. Those are four really good players. And what your team did was they came out, had a future NCAA tournament team down by 16 in the second half. They showed a lot of poise when they were going back and forth in the first half, and they came out in that second half and just threw a real haymaker. Now, here are the negatives. You're a young team. You had so many defensive lapses at the end. You gave up a 16-point lead in about five minutes with a flurry of shots from Ole Miss. And at the end, you really could have gave up the game because you missed the majority of your free throws down at the end. And I don't know if a lot of people noticed this. That half-court shot went in. Yeah, it counted. Yep. It counted. Th- those missed free throws could have bit you in the butt. So, overall, I give them a B-. minus. I'm more comfortable going into Madison Square Garden Thursday playing North Carolina State, which Kevin Keats always has his groups ready to ball. He's one of the better coaches in the country when it comes to X's and O's. Lies. So, uh, that's going to be a really tough challenge. I- I'm more comfortable going into – Tennessee, because we're going to have an additional big body in Michael Dandridge. I know a lot of people not big on Malcolm, but I'm going to tell you guys this, Justin Justice. I think Malcolm Dandridge is going to be a pivotal key point. That's a big body who can finish around the rim, and that's a big body who will board. And he's not afraid to get physical. I was impressed, and I do want to give a shout-out to Penny. I think he had his team well prepared for the game. They ran a lot of offensive sets. Uh, Saturday, and I think that they were, he had them poised when they lost their lead. He didn't lose his calm on the sideline. He kept them poised and calm, and that was a really big win not only for the players but the coaching staff as well. That is a great point. Um, I mean, they, you know, really in a lot of these games I've noticed that, but I think in this game more than any of the others, especially when you consider the competition and, uh, and seeing that. And I think it's a great point you bring up about Dandridge. I'm about to kick it to justice here, but when, when you think about that, I, what stood out to me was the lack of rebounding. Other than Precious, who dominated it at, at points physically, because, you know, one, Ole Miss is not that big of a team at all. So all he had to do was muscle his, muscle his way around and do what he wanted to do. But outside of Precious, I mean, the rebounding was relatively average. Alex Lomax was second on the team with seven rebounds. So I think that's where they're going to need Dandridge uh, to come back whenever he does, and uh, he's going to be pretty big. But, uh, Justice, you want to talk about that and get into the game? Well, I I thought Evan hit on some good points. It's no doubt that rebounding is going to be something that the Tigers are going to need to focus on. Now, uh, Precious Achua finished that game with 25 points, 11 rebounds. Six of his rebounds were on the offensive side. But you look at Ole Miss uh, as a team, 16 offensive rebounds. Uh, Their starters had a combined 15 offensive rebounds. Uh, That can't happen. 
that the Tigers are, are hoping to continue to beat teams the caliber of Ole Miss, NC State, as, as they get down to the bulk of the schedule. So Evan makes a good point. Malcolm Dandridge, 6'9", 250 pounds with a seven-foot-plus wingspan, is a guy that uh, we're hearing he's medically cleared that could help the Tigers on the boards. Uh, believe it or not, the veterans for uh, Memphis, and that's Isaiah Maurice and Lance Thomas, they only combined for five rebounds, and, and that was all Lance Thomas. In nine minutes, five rebounds, one assist, two steals, three blocks. He was productive in everything but scoring. I would like to see them get more out of, out of their, those guys because they're, they're going to need it unless uh, Malcolm Dandridge is every, a, able to take some of those minutes away from Maurice. But when you look at Preston Satchua, uh, 10 of 16 from the field, uh, he showed uh, many that he could be a lottery pick as the feature guy. And and a, a lot of people were down on him in terms of saying, well, hey, you know, he's a big, you know, he doesn't need to be on the wing. But I think we saw it. He isolated uh, whatever big was on him, and he just went by him, or he was going straight to the glass. And so we we saw the press, best of pressures of Chua in that game, but also DJ Jeffrey, 10 or 18 from the field. Um, he was able to get to the line. He shot 75%, three or four. DJ Jeffries is just a very active freak athlete. So him and Precious Achua, you're not going to find too many forwards that are more athletic than those guys. Um, and I think some other things that stood out, Tyler Harris, Alex Lomax, the veteran, um, combined for 29 points. Uh, Tyler Harris hit all three of the Tigers' threes. The Tigers were three from 11 from the field, three-point line. And as you notice, over the last couple of games, they have scaled back the three-point attempts since losing to, to Oregon. So they were 30 or 58 inside the field. That's 51 percent. But what stands out is the the big negative, and that's the free throw shooting, 24 or 36. Precious Achua was the main culprit, shooting five or ten. If he's going to continue to get fouled at this rate, we're going to need to see that free throw shooting come up. I think at one point he shot back to back air ball. Yep. So I don't know if he can't see, you know, if he he's blind or, or you know. He's, <laughs> Sometimes when he got the ball in his hand, I wonder if, if he doesn't have a good grip on it because every every once in a while you'll see him go up for a layup mm-hmm. and he'll just lose the ball. So, But overall, uh, outside of giving up a 16-point lead, I think you have to be encouraged. But when you look at the Tigers, I think their margin for error is slim. Uh, even though you get up by 16, you end up being outscored 48-42 in the second half. It's a one-point game. And so uh, – Going into NC State, they're going to need to tighten some things up. But I do, do think you've got to be encouraged by the fact that even though Lesa Kionez, who I'm hearing may be out for four to six weeks with a broken left hand, mm-hmm. uh, he was get, averaging the most minutes on the team. So that means that the Kenny Hardaway had more confidence in him than maybe any, anybody outside of James Wiseman. So now uh, the Tigers' other guards and wings are going to have to absorb those minutes. So, you know, will that will that be – Tyler Harrison, Alo, uh, who saw more minutes in that game. Uh, DJ Jeffries, he played 33 minutes. It's not much more uh, he can do for you in that one. Uh, Damian Barr and, and Boogie Ellis didn't play particularly well in that game. Uh, Barr did finish with a 4-4 from the free throw line. He also had four rebounds, two assists, but five turnovers for Damian Barr. So you're going to want to see them reduce that. Uh, but the Tigers did block nine shots. They they collected 11 steals. They're one of the better shot-blocking teams in the country. And so even Jeffries and Thomas off the bench, you know, they combined for five, five block shots. It'll be interesting to see what the Tigers can do uh, moving forward. But I, I continue to say their margin for error is slim. They're going to have to defend. They're going to have to rebound. And they're going to have to make free throws if they hope to uh, 
get a win against a, a really good NC State team that's projected to also be in the NCAA tournament. Now, I'm really curious, guys, what what are the line, lineups going to look like uh, going forward? Do you expect any changes? Because you kind of look at the way things went, especially in the Ole Miss game. Um, you know, you talk about Alex Lomax and how he's kind of looking like that guard that we expected him to look like, you know, as uh, the floor general in command of the offense and complete control that bulldog on defense, played his role perfectly. Uh, he played more minutes than any of the other guards, as a matter of fact, um, you know, including Damian Ball, Boogie Ellis, who missed every shot he took. I don't expect that to be a, a trend. But, um, you know, Tyler Harris, he looked like he was playing within himself as well, uh, scoring the ball. And also, I'll ask this question, do we, you know, does this open things up with Keona's injury? for a Ryan Boyce to come in at a wing position or to get some more playing time. Because I've noticed uh, Hardaway, uh, his son, Jaden Hardaway, has gotten some time. Um, and even in the press conference, Penny was talking about Ryan Boyce having to come and pick up some slack in certain situations. Do you think that could be an answer to something potentially? Whoever wants to take it. Well, I'll, I'll take it. It just depends on how far into his bench Penny want to go. Because – with Malcolm Dandridge coming in now, you have a bona fide five. Uh, he could play the five in college, and you could possibly push Precious to the three if you want to go a big lineup. So Malcolm coming in does a lot for your team because he's a bona fide solid big, and there there is not a lot of big physical guys in college basketball anymore because all the bigs want to be stressed for us now a la Precious Ashua, which is nothing wrong with that. That's the way the game is treated. But I think people are underestimating the value of Malcolm Dandridge. Um, it just depends on how far down the bench Penny want to go. There could possibly be a lineup where Penny go, Isaiah Maurice, Malcolm Dandridge, Precious Ashua, Damian Ball, and Boogie Ellis. Uh, there could be times where he goes small ball with Tyler Alo in the game and Precious Ashua at the four or the five. So he don't have to go all the way down to his bench to Ryan Boyce. Uh, he don't have to if he doesn't want to. It just depends on the penny want to continue to throw guys in waves. But at the same time, when you go that deep into your bench, you still got to be productive. Uh, I can throw out the time when he threw Jane Holloway out there in the Oregon game, and he had to snatch it right back out because I think he realized that moment was too big for Jane. Yeah. He wasn't ready for that game. So. But he looked a lot more comfortable at Ole Miss, but he still doesn't give you that off that you need to keep him in the game for a extended period of time. I think Penny's going to realize that he's going to have to shorten their rotation. Once to get the A-low, Tyler, Ball, Boogie, and probably Malcolm on that bench, you got to cut it. I'm not even comfortable playing Isaiah Maurice a lot anymore because I just don't think he's proven in his two years in Memphis that he is a bona fide go-to guy night in and night out who's going to produce. So to answer your question, Josh, I don't think I see Penny for a standard period of time during his 12 games. Well, what is it, nine games now for James Wiseman mm -hmm. suspension? I don't think he goes that deep into the bench. I think he's shorting their rotation, especially with Lester out for a standard period of time. Interesting. Now, how do y'all feel Lance Thomas? Because I, I can see him playing a very important role, even though he only played nine minutes. And I think that was mostly attributed to his foul situation. Because uh, he had he, – stacked up quite a few fouls there, but I could see him being kind of valuable, at least in the in-between of uh, Dandridge whenever he decides to play him. Because it really doesn't well, seem like I, Penny's in a rush right now for whatever reason. I like I like, I like like Lance Thomas. I mean, yeah. anytime a guy plays nine minutes, 
and get five boards, three blocks, two steals. That lets you know he's being active. Now, he did pick up the four fouls, mm -hmm. but I would rather see Thomas and uh, Dandridge get those minutes as opposed to Maurice because yes. Maurice plays 12 minutes and he didn't get a rebound. Uh, and, and you look at Jaden Hardaway, he has one of more the strangest stat lines you'll ever see. He played 12 minutes, believe it or not, and was basically zeros across the board with a session of a personal foul he picked up. Yep. But, uh, you know, team defensive-wise, he doesn't really hurt you in that way because uh, one thing about it when, it, when a kid knows his limitations and he's able to come in and play within the confines of the system. Uh, but Penny played 10 guys. Eight of those guys played more than 10 minutes. So uh, with, the, with the style he wants to employ in terms of pressing, I would seem to think that he's going to continue to play at least nine guys at least nine guys. So uh, will Ryan Boyce get those minutes? Um, will it be uh, an increase of minutes for uh, some of your guards? Or, or will we see uh, Malcolm Dandridge? I think that's going to be the biggest question. But I would love to see Dandridge in there with that big body. He would give the Tigers something they really don't have. Because when you look at Precious, DJ, those guys are all lean. Nobody weighs over uh, 225 pounds. But then when you throw Dandridge in there, you know, he's got to be close to 250. And, that, and that's just him waking up out of bed. I mean, this kid is, is a monster. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what, what Penny does with that bench. But I expect him to continue to uh, play in ways because he's giving everybody an opportunity. But at some point, he's going to have to adjust his lineups if, if he takes another loss. How do we feel about the North Carolina State game coming up? Uh, I believe it was this Thursday, uh, what the Tigers may need to do in that in that game. How big is that for everything else we got coming up? Well, it's, it's, it's big because it's a game against a quality opponent, uh, a team that will have the opportunity, and especially in the, AAC, in the ACC, where you get plenty of opportunities night in and night out against Dukes and North Carolinas, uh, where you can play your way into the NCAA tournament. It's a big game for that purpose. Uh, it's going to be a opportunity to get a good RPI win. Now, on the back end, it's not kidding, Joe. We're not even 10 games to the season. This is not a must win. <laughs> it isn't the end of the world if you lose, and it isn't a bad loss if you lose it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'm not going to go that far. Uh, I, I don't think that it's drastically an issue to lose that game. Now, I do think we had a better team. I do think that we have enough to beat North Carolina State. Now, that's not kidding, Joe. That's a North Carolina State team that lost to Josh Patterson and Georgia Tech. Yep. All right. Josh Plasma probably won't have a job after this season. Uh, if he doesn't make the ACW tournament or at least the NIT, which he probably won't either, he's going to be out of Georgia Tech. So they did lose to Georgia Tech, but since then they haven't lost. Uh, Kevin Keats is one of the better coaches in America. He can get the job done. And once again, it's not just going to be on the players. Penny and his staff will have to put together a very well-executed game plan for North Carolina State because Kevin Keats and his staff is always ready. So I'm interested to see how we'll respond. But what I'm more interested in to see how they respond after a quality win. Mm -hmm. We These are young guys. We don't know if they're going to be so high that they think they're invincible now. We don't know how they're going to reply to having success. We don't know how they're going to act. That's what I'm going to be most interested in seeing. Hey, you're coming against another team that's really good. They could be an ECW tournament resume builder as a quality win. It's going to be a top 100, top 50 RPR win. I want to see how they – we've seen how they play against adversity with the James Wilder situation. They passed that test. Now let's see how they play when they get a little success. With a lot of young teams, man, they usually come out 
when they get success as a little arrogant cocky that had to get slapped in the mouth again before they get refocused. So that's what I'm going to be most interested to see. Definitely, definitely. Justice, um, how you feeling about it? Well, for me, I mean, when you when you look at NC State, they're they're a guard laden team led by CJ Bryce. Uh, they've got four guys averaging double figures. Bryce, uh, the leader at 17.7 boards a game, two steals. Uh, he's a really good player. Uh, David Daniels is, is another guard they have uh, who's averaging 14. Uh, DJ Thunderbird, who I, I wonder if he's related to Lawrence Thunderbird, uh, he's probably their best big. So they're not a giant team by any stretch of the imagination. Even Jericho Hellams, who was a four-star, who played with Brad, Brad Deal Elite. I watched him come up in the AAU circuit. He's right around 10 points or four, four boards a game. This is a guard wing laid team. The Tigers are going to have to get out and close out on the three-point line against this team. Uh, they're solid uh, at the free throw line, around 72%. Uh, but for me, Memphis has to make up the score. When you look at the Tigers, they average 86 points a game to NC State's 84. But you've got almost 30 points a game that you got to make up between James Wiseman and Lester Keone. So that's the thing. And Precious Achua, who on the season, he's averaging 15 or 8, but we've seen the numbers go up with James Wiseman out. Same thing for DJ Jeffries. Who's going to step in and fill that void as the fourth leading scorer? Will it be Tyler Harris, Alex Lobax, who's, who's really uh, steadying? Can we get something out of Boogie Ellis and Damian Barr? Uh, so there's there's some question marks for the Tigers, mainly because they've got some young guards who are going to be up and down. We've seen Barr look really good at times, and, and we've seen him struggle. We've also seen Boogie Ellis go uh, six for six from three-point land, and we've also seen him struggle. So uh, I think Memphis, Memphis is young guys. They've got to come to play. And for me, I want to see them play defense first, take care of the basketball, and then I think playing within the system. But you best believe Tyler Harris, Alex Lomax, DJ Jeffries, those guys are battle-tested. They'll be ready. Uh, they come up through the rings of the Memphis system. And uh, just playing high school basketball in Memphis is, is really tough. So I think they're going to be prepared for a neutral site game like this. So expect get big games out of those three guys. Definitely, definitely. And, uh to clarify, this is the Barclays Classic, I believe. It's going to be in Brooklyn, New York, playing in the the the, uh, the Nets Arena up there. So, matter of fact, that game is going to be at 3 p.m. Central Time um, on a Thursday. So, it's definitely an interesting time, uh, no question. So, I guess we'll we'll see what happens on that one. Uh, with if, you remember, if you remember last year mm-hmm. – uh, we lost to the College of Charleston on Thanksgiving. Yeah. I and that was, that was probably one of the lowest points of last year. But this North Carolina State team, man, they just pretty much dominated a, a Little Rock squad that we struggled with. They yep. beat them by 16 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's a good Little Rock team, man. So it's not like that we are the better team, but it's not like we're just overpowering them and overmatching them, man. Uh, it's going to be a game to see, man. It's going to be a really good game. Definitely, definitely, man. And Justice brought up uh, Lawrence Funderburk. Refs, I ain't heard that name in, in I don't know how long. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm like, man, that's a, a real throwback if you're a real basketball fan there. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for a short commercial break before the next segment of the Deliberation Sports Podcast. But uh, definitely, man, get into some Tiger football now because they, they deserve it. Just as much talk, if not more. Talking about a team that's ten and one, heading into a huge weekend uh, coming up. Final game of the regular season. 
taking on the Cincinnati Bearcats. Essentially, this is a game to make it to the AAC title game and possibly more than likely play Cincinnati again uh, the following week. But, uh, man, kind of talk about this season, first of all, guys, uh, as we get into this game coming up this weekend. Is this the best season? Uh, Because I saw this put out there. Can you say this is the best season of all of the years with Fuente and Norvell? Um, Has there been a better season in that group of time, uh, Evan? I think it is for the simple fact that you have to look at it. We were a bad call away from being undefeated right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember, I think it was D'Angelo Williams, sophomore, junior, one of them. Um, it was a big preview on Memphis football. Tommy West was still the coach. And they said we were going to go undefeated. And we ended up going 8-4 that year. <laughs> but this is the first time that – and we were actually ranked in the top 25 after week one that year. Yep. Um and we went down to Little Rock and only won by three. And, of course, the AP Rogers dropped us out. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time that we've had the type of preseason hype that we had because a lot of people thought we would go undefeated and lived up to it. So I think this is the best season that we've had. I think the Fuente team that he had in his final season could have been better. But once he, once they realized that he was going to Virginia Tech and Lynch was going to the NFL, I think that just took the – the just the everything out of the boat and the ship synced after that because we went down to the Birmingham Bowl, got demolished, and I think we lost two of our final three games. Mm-hmm. Basically, Fuente was once foot out the door before the season even ended. So I think that just because this team and there's not real steam going around Mike Norvell right now, even though I think he knows where he's going to go, um, I just think that this team overall is the best team, not only in the Fuente-Norvell era, but in Memphis football history. And I think they're going to go out with a bang. I think they're going to beat Cincinnati, not only this week coming up, but Cincinnati in the AAC title game, man. They'll be playing in the combo. Hey, that, and that's just what I was going to get to, man, because if you're Norvell, and if you are going to go out in this your final year, I, I'm sure he knows the stakes. I mean, you build all this time at Memphis, and you're right there at a New Year's Six Bowl, I can't imagine him wanting to leave. Even though I have my doubts about him leaving, that's another topic. But I could, I couldn't see him even thinking about leaving if he gets this close and doesn't accomplish that goal of finally getting to the New Year's Six Bowl. You're this close. You're basically two games away. Um, and I do think they have the potential to do it. But just as, um, how do you feel about how this season's going? Well, I think this season has has been tremendous. This is the apex of Memphis football. And when I say that, I mean that the SMU game day, uh, undefeated SMU versus Memphis, two two top 25 ranked teams, 60,000 sold out, uh, nearly 60,000. Uh, ESPN game day, you know, 10,000 people on Bill Street at 6 a.m. On a, on a Saturday morning. And then they close it out by just thump, stumping uh, SMU. For me, that's the apex. Now, uh, Let's not forget to acknowledge or fail to acknowledge the fact that none of this would, wouldn't be possible, and we wouldn't be talking about this had the Tulsa kicker not blown that field goal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it's the apex, and, and I'd say this. If the Tigers can finish out the regular season with this win over Cincinnati, this is the best regular season in Tiger football history. 
but you've got to follow that up by beating Cincinnati again. But this would be the first time, if I'm not mistaken, Memphis would be the outright conference, uh, American Conference champ, not a split. This mm-hmm. would be the first time they'd be the outright champion in uh, of the regular season. But you've got to follow that up, and you've got to beat Cincinnati again. It's really hard to beat a team twice. So, uh, But it, it's a must-win game because uh, you're faced with the fact that Navy is really pulling for Memphis to somehow lose. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I mean, statistically, I think if the Tigers went out, of course, nobody nobody can jump them, but Navy still has an outside shot. But right. Memphis right now with the – in fact, if, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know how they do the tiebreakers because Memphis beat Navy head-to-head. So I, I would think they're already a lock for it, but I've been hearing that uh, Navy, you know, statistically still has a chance. But uh, when you look at it, if you're Norvell, I, I think you got to look at it like this if you're Mike Norvell. If you win these next two games against Cincinnati, you're in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, you got a whole month to be the talk of uh, of the group of five, so to speak, uh, those teams outside the quote-unquote power five. But if you go into that Cotton Bowl game against a high-powered opponent on New Year's Day and you win that game, you are now the preeminent top program outside of the power five. You leave that and you go to Arkansas, you are literally starting all the way at the bottom. When right you. now at Memphis, when you look around at Memphis, your best players are freshmen or sophomores or they're coming back. Mm-hmm. So you talk about Kenny Gainwell and, and all of these guys. I mean, DeMonte Coxey, even your quarterback who, you know, we, we've been down on him. We've been up on him. I mean, you know, <laughs> I just got to face it. This Brady White, he got better. He's he, he can handle adversity. Yeah, He can handle adversity because – there were times where, I mean, I, I just ripped the guy off, and every time I read, wrote him off, he came back, and, and uh, he's really shown that when Mike Norvell opened up the playbook, uh, he could be effective. In this last game against uh, South Florida, for the first time I saw him, uh, I think, run in for a touchdown. Yeah. Like, he, was, he, was, he was really running the, op, the, re, the run pass option. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen Brady White do that. Just as he did have two picks, though. Yeah. He did. Yeah, now <laughs> – off top. But that but it, that goes back to what we talk about with Brady White. Adversity. He struggles, throws a couple picks. Next thing you know, he throws three touchdowns. I mean, he's he's surrounded with phenomenal talent. And I think that's the thing we have to remember is that most game managers who are decent quarterbacks have come in and make this offense look great. So yeah. uh I, I don't want to hype him up too much, but at the same time, he's had a really good season. So I don't I don't want to diminish him. He got better. He got better yeah. because in, in Memphis terms, he was some garbage. And I, I'm safe to say he, he's no longer some garbage. He, he's at least some slaw. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, when you graduate to slaw, you know what I mean? Folks like slaw on barbecue. So, you know yeah. what I'm saying? It, it could be looked at as a positive. But I'm going to tell you, y'all know my criticisms were, were harsh, uh, according to some people. You know, but look, you give credit where it's due. When I saw crap... You know, that's what I'm going to call it. But now, the guy's balling. And I do think what Justin said about improving. You know, some people get it twisted. You know, I see a lot of little slide stuff like, oh, we're the Brady haters. It's not about being a hater. It's about when you see four interceptions in the first half that you call it for what it is. But now, I don't know if it's confidence. Is it certain things he's adjusted? Because one thing about Brady, when he would throw on the run, 
it was almost guaranteed to not be a completed pass at all. Unless he had a perfect pocket, he couldn't even complete a pass. But now, most of the time, he is on the run and throwing dimes down the field on target. Uh, you know, he's been throwing, taking more shots lately. And ironically, those two interceptions were why, you know, were results of him kind of maybe getting a little too cocky and throwing into triple coverage. But I'd rather you do that and take some chances than be scared to take a chance. So, you know, I got to give all props to him um, and that offense especially uh, that's around him. So I guess we'll see. But uh, I guess a lot of credit, I would imagine, goes to Mike Norvell as well, who we kind of talked about the coaching rumors. Start to pick up, I guess. You know, I hear people say the rumors are picking up, but I don't really hear that much. And maybe it's just me. You know, there was the rumor that he met with Arkansas. Not sure how true that was, come to find out. But um, Justice kind of alluded to some of that uh, before I say anything. But, Evan, what, 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 do you, what do you think about the rumor? Should Norvell leave? Do you think he will leave? Well, just wait until you win the AAC title outright and go to the convo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, he's still in the middle of the season and it's already being reported that yeah. he's meeting with SEC programs and he's at the top of the list for a big time ACC job. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's not get it twisted. The dominoes hadn't fallen yet. I mean, Tom Herman is on the hot seat of Texas. Exactly. Coach Franklin might take the job at Florida State. Then Penn State's open. Uh, Coach D'Antoni is on the hot seat at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some jobs that will be open. So let's not get it twisted. I know a lot of Memphis fans want to see him stay. I understand that. And 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 people say, why would he leave Memphis? Well, damn. They still paying Tubby Smith $3 million. Penny's do a payday. He's not going to keep giving you the hometown discount. Are you going to be able to pay me what other schools can pay me? Can you get a booster to cut the kill? If the answer is no, then Mike Norvell need to go get paid. Yes, he should leave. Why? Number one, because right now you've accomplished everything you can in Memphis. And I, I say this all the time, and, and people forget this guy, man, but it is what it is. There was a coach named Chris Lowry. He was the head coach of Southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. He was taken into the Sweet 16. This was in the early 2000s. He decided to stay loyal at the mid-major. Everybody in the country wanted him. I'm going to stay loyal to the people who took a chance on me. Well, you can't you can't hold that success at a mid-major for an extended period of time like that. So three years later, he's fired. You want to know who Chris Lowry is right now? He's an assistant under Bruce Webb at Kansas State. He never got a head coaching gig again. You want to know why? Man, you had three straight losing seasons in Southern Illinois. We don't care that you went to the Sweet 16 two years in a row. You had three losing seasons in a row at Southern Illinois. How the hell are you going to coach a P5 school? Mike Norvell has to hurry up and straight water on the top because statistics show and history show that he cannot keep this level of winning up at Memphis. Memphis has never won at this level, and I know people are going to be upset about it, but if Mike Norvell – doesn't want a possible Chris Lowry story, he needs to go get the payday. And I think he will. 
Well, Evan, I'll say this. He's the highest paid coach in the in the uh, group of five. I mean, mm-hmm. 2.5 no, million. He's I, I, no, he's not. No, he's not. Houston coach is. No, he's not. He's and right. it's not even close. Houston coach making $4 million. Norvell's making $1.6. It's not even close. No, I no, did no, see no. that in the last Norvell's game. Norvell's at $2.5 million. Still not close. And I think, I, I don't know if that recently happened, Justice. I think uh, mm-hmm. Norvell was the highest paid. Um, until Houston made that hire. I don't know. And Memphis, Memphis, like, went through everything they could. Like, they, they made that pay raise a huge deal, if y'all remember. Yeah, oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> like, I don't know if they can afford to pay that man when he worked without somebody cutting a check. I, I just don't. Like, we got to keep I think Memphis got, they got the boosters. They got the money, I think. Okay. Uh, well, then, and, and spend it. But ultimately, I think I, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be the salary as as so much as it for Norvell as the opportunity to maybe win on the big stage and hopefully compete for a national title. Mm-hmm. But I think the right job has got to come open where he's the guy. I, I mean, look if you if you're the head coach at Flo- next head, head coach at Florida State, hey, I think that's a great decision. You know, if you're the next head coach at Michigan State, I think that's out of his area in terms of recruiting. But I'm not going to say he can't be effective there. Uh, but when you talk about going to Arkansas and, and joining the SEC West, Garbage. I, I just think I, I just think he's going to be the next Chad Morris, and you'll be looking up and wondering, well, damn, what happened? Uh, and that's not to say that you can't come back and get another job because you've done so well at Memphis. But we've seen coaches, uh, you know, do well at, at smaller programs and then pull a Tom Herman. So I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I, I want to see more. I want to see more, um, but. You know, we're gonna see. He's definitely gonna be a top candidate when it when it when uh comes down to it. And and you know, if you can sign a five year, twenty five million dollar contract like like Tom Herman, then I'm sure you know even if you get fired, hey, you know you're guaranteed to get that money. And and Evan, Evan, all I gotta say is Scott Frost, Tom Herman, old uh old Willie, you know, down in uh, Florida Willie State, Taggart, Willie Taggart, you Chad know what I'm saying. Morris. Chad Morris. And even uh, Charlie Strong, I'm hearing, is on somewhat of the hot seat down at uh, South Florida, mainly because they had a meltdown last season yep. uh, where they started off strong and didn't finish strong. And then now this season they struggled again. We're going to see how that goes. Yeah. And y'all can name all them names, but get what? <laughs> them cats leaving $20 million richer. But, hey, check this out. <laughs> and that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. Mike Novell ain't made enough money to say I don't need no money. But I, I want to hit y'all with this because here's where I think we're becoming homers. Okay. Mike Norvell is telling you he wants to leave indirectly. His agent is doing a masterful job. Hey, leak that I met with the University of Arkansas. Yeah. Leak that I'm not interested in the Arkansas job, but I'm interested in the Florida State job. These are real stories by reputable websites. Yeah, you're right. So I'll give you that. Is, people, people need to take off the blinders and say, hey, Norvell will leave. Like, fuck, he won't. He's already telling you that he wants to leave. His agent is doing a hell of a job marketing him, and he's telling you right now, I am open to leaving right now. I ain't leaving for no Arkansas, which I don't know why people still throwing up Arkansas, because Arkansas ain't the school the only school that's going to be coming after him. Trust me, that man is one of the hottest candidates under 40 in the country. That man is going to be out of here. 
And if you look at what his agent is doing, he's telling you, big time power five schools, come get me because I am on the market. But let me ask you this, both of y'all this. Is it worth it if you go there and you're like a Scott Frost, you flame out in two years? Or what happened at Florida State? Or what's happening in Arkansas? And ironically, every single one of these coaches came from the AAC. All of them. And they all just flamed out. You know, Tom Herman, the next big thing in coaching, flop. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, my guy in South Florida going to Florida State, the, the, the great black hope going to Florida State. We all rooting for him. Flame out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, everything else, you know, Scott Frost. You know, we saw what he did with UCF, outstanding job. Goes down to Zabamata, Nebraska, you know, flame out. You know, looks look, looks a fool. You got to check. As, and, I, and that, you know, don't get me wrong. You can floss with that, whatever. But after two years, if you ain't producing and you ain't got a job and you no more checks coming in, then I don't know. That's just me, though. I'm- I'm gonna let Justin answer this one because I, I got him for that. Yeah, yeah. Go, go there, ahead. There's two there's two sides to it. Initially, I gave you what I thought he should do in terms of making sure if he leaves, he picks the right job. Now I do think where there's smoke, there's fire, and if you're Memphis, you've got to have the list ready uh, and be prepared for him to leave. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, he is leaving behind a lot of talent. Yes. I think that's the big thing you got to look at. The same way uh, Justin Puente left some talent behind. And I, I'd argue there's more talent at Memphis now oh, a lot than more. it was when, when Puente left. Yeah. So uh, I, I agree with Evan. I, I think I think it's highly likely that he's going to vote for another school. And I've got $25 million reasons why. Uh, at the end of the day, when, when you're a coach that's moving up from the American Conference, and you get a deal on the table, five years, $25 million, uh, you know, four years, $24 million, or whatever. The, the, the money is too difficult to pass up because you're guaranteed to get that money even if you're fired. Yeah. So I think for a young guy like like Norvell, that's like playing the stock market. Well, you should take more risks while you're young. This is now the time for him to take those risks because he's young. And he's he got, he got a you know young family, so he's got time to make up for it. My only... Uh, advice to him would be, hey, just make sure it's the right job, and I'm and I'm sure his agent is gonna gonna be looking at that. But uh, I think Norvell is probably one of the top five offensive minds in college football. He he doesn't have an offensive coordinator for the most part. He is calling the plays, yeah, and he's right. done it better than just about anybody over the last five years. Defensively is, is where he's really had weaknesses. He, he better go to a conference where it's all about scoring, like the Big Twelve. Because if he goes to a conference where it's smash mouth football, I think he's in trouble. Yeah, and I think if he goes to somewhere like the Big Twelve, he may, you know, I can see him almost looking like a Lincoln Riley. Maybe not to that degree, but you know, with the way offenses thrive over there, it's it's, it's no doubt. But I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's it's just got to be the right job. So I think. We're all kind of on a similar playing field when it comes to that, and I think, and so, and I think he's also playing it smart. Where Fuente didn't, you know, Fuente let that stuff become a distraction to the point where the team just went down the toilet. Um, in at the end of his tenure there. So, uh, on the last, yeah, I, 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 did, I, I did want to make a point though. Just, yeah, uh, Josh, good. If you're on thirty mm-hmm. seconds, mm-hmm. all those AAC coaches been flopped. Oh. Willie Taggart 
at Oregon, he took a three-win team and made them a seven or eight-win team. True. His first year. I forgot about Oregon, yeah. And then that recruiting class that Oregon has with all that talent, that was a really tagger recruiting class. That's true. Uh, Florida State was just in such a debacle. People forget that uh, – I forget the man name. The previous coach was Texas A&M. Now, Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo. Mm-hmm. He season his last year at Florida State. So, Willie Taggart didn't have nothing to come into. So, it was going to be a three-year process anyway, and they just didn't let him finish it out. Tom Herman is doing a terrible job this year. That's true. Let's not get it twisted. Texas was a 10-win team last year and finished in the top 10 nationally just a year ago. So let's tell you how quick people could turn on you. So I want to see that those I want to say that those AAC team uh, coaches have done terrible. I just think that they didn't take the right jobs, which is I think that if Willie Taggart stayed at Oregon, he would be in the same position as the current coach right now. Because that's his recruiting class. True. I just think yeah. that they took the wrong jobs, and that's exactly what Justice is hitting on. Make sure you take the right job. In Willie Taggart case, I think he took the right job the first time. And got enthused by the name Florida State when he should have kept his ass in Virginia. Matter of fact, didn't he uh, recruit uh, Dylan Mitchell um, from Memphis, if I'm not mistaken? It, 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 he did, this was his, yep, yep, because he w- it would have been his first year at Oregon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah he, well, well, he became a coach in uh, December of 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's right around the time I, I, but I can't recall what class Dylan Mitchell was in coming out of high school. But yeah, but Justice, I know you want to jump I think in. He voted. Yeah. But I was just gonna say, yeah, I mean, Taggart, he was seven and five that year at um, Oregon, but he was only four or five in the Pac-12. He ended up voting. He took that job at Florida State. Now, I guess he did that mainly because, uh, you know, he saw greener grass on the other side. Now that year at Oregon, he did beat Nebraska. He did beat Arizona, and then, of course Oregon State. Uh, but you got to take the right job. That's a big thing now. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think Florida State is the right job if you're prepared to be fired if you don't do well. That's the thing. <laughs> but when you look at the ACC from top to bottom, I would argue that that conference, especially once you get to the bottom half, is not as good as the American conference. I agree. So especially mm-hmm. when you look at it this year, even though you've had like Clemson, who's an outlier, and then, of course, Miami uh, and, and Florida State. But for the most part, you know, when you, when you look at that uh, conference – I don't think it's that strong in football. You know, you look at Duke, North Carolina, now Wake Forest, you know, they've been pretty good this year. But historically, I don't consider that to be a really strong football conference, and I think the American could rival that. But that's the type of conference, if you're Mike Novell, you want to go to. It's one where there's not as many uh, top teams. And I think Norvell, with his style, he can go get some players out of Florida, and he can really thrive because he's an offensive-minded coach, and they've got better athletes in Florida in terms of skill positions than just about anywhere you can find. He yeah. can come to Miami here. We lose the Florida International shit. <laughs> he can definitely come up. Well, Florida International, now, nah, well, I may be thinking about Florida Atlantic with uh, Lane Kiffin. Well, we didn't lose the lane. I could have took that better. I don't even know the coach of Florida International. <laughs> Look, I don't think Florida, they, I don't think they know who their coach is, to be honest with they you. They beat us at home. Oh, man. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty bad. Y'all go ahead. It's over with. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but look, last thing on uh, football before we, I know we're getting close to the end here, but when it comes to the next head coach, yeah, I know we've kind of talked about the names out there, but are there some guys that we should look at 
uh, I know we've kind of hit on this before, but, um, uh, you know, Chip Long's name has out, been out there. Is anybody else you guys want to consider real quick before we uh, move on? No, I'm all in on Chip Long. That's yeah. who I want. I, I want Chip Long. Uh, he knows the city. He knows the program. He still had the connections with the high school coaches in this area. He went on to Nebraska, he, and that offense looks good over there, man. Uh, I just think Chip Long just fits the mold of your last two hires that worked out so well. In mm-hmm. uh, AAC, you're going to have to put up points if you want to win. You can't come here thinking that you're going to bring in a defensive-minded coach and you're going to win. Uh, I mean, we got a pretty good defensive coordinator. Hell, he can't stop the AAC. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's a damn good defensive coordinator. Yeah, so me too. Yeah. I just, I just think that he fits the mold of what has been successful. And here's the thing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You've been going out to really good offensive coordinators. Keep that trend going. I think Chip Long will be awesome. And I think he's ready to be a head coach as well. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, Justice, you agree with that? Hey, I'll roll with it. I just think they need to go get another offensive mind. Um, it's hard to get the big linemen down in the South because you're competing with the Alabamas, mm-hmm. the Ole Misses, the, the Tennessees. The, but you can go get skilled players. I mean, you got skilled players running around Memphis and Mississippi. You know how uh, – I mean, look at uh, Kenneth Gangwell, Wazoo City, you know, Wazoo, <laughs> Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So uh, – even Daryl Henderson, who was at South Philadelphia, uh, Tony Pollard, Melrose High School. Yep. I mean, there are guys like that just running around. So you can recruit in Oklahoma. You can get get in the uh, you know Memphis area. You can go down into Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia. You can get transfers from from some, a lot of those schools. I think Memphis is a is a really good job, but you got to go out and get your offensive minded coach who wants to have a bunch of guys who can make plays. And and the one thing Mike Novell has done better than any coach I think in Memphis history is he's a guy that has multiple weapons. You can mm-hmm. think of about nine, ten guys that can go out on his team and go get a touchdown. And that's the type of football that's exciting that gets people coming to the games. And that's the reason why you sell out against SMU. And that's the reason why I think on Black Friday, you should expect another big crowd against Cincinnati. Yeah, and think about this. I think it's even more important than all of that, but it goes to all those points. He's built a culture. You look at Memphis now, you got the cool uniforms, you got offensive explosion, speed everywhere. And with all this national television exposure, Memphis is a cool place to go now. You know, these recruits, if they don't know a lot, you know, um, you know, if or if they even if they do know a lot, you're watching these these teams and all these guys running around, you're sending guys to the league, being successful as well. That's just uh a uh, recipe for success for whoever the next coach is, as long as he continues in that path. So, yeah, I agree with that totally, man. But last but not least, I definitely want to hit on the Memphis Grizzlies. Big game this weekend on uh, Saturday, which seemed like it was the Memphis day, you know. Uh, they bring out the throwback unis, the old Vancouver Grizzlies, the old court that look, uh, that reminded me of the Pyramid days. I remember going to Grizzly games in the Pyramid. Uh, that's what that kind of reminded me of, man. And had a, a great game that came down to the wire, but it ended in a loss with a team that is playing unbelievable right down the Los Angeles Lakers. But um, John Morant, Jaron Jackson seems to be getting back in the groove. Um, 
Evan, kind of talk about the growth of this these, uh, this young Grizzlies team and what you're seeing so far. Well, I first want to say that uh, last Saturday was a, a beautiful day in Memphis. Uh, you had the Tigers freshman group grow in front of our eyes with a win over Ole Miss. You had Memphis one game away from locking down the AAC title. And you had the Grizzlies. You had John Jammer playing great. And they still lost, which is what you really want so they can get one more good piece in the lottery with these guys. I think that that equaled out to be a perfect night. Now, I can't really say about the growth for job because he came in killing it. Uh, I mean, it's a great point. Yeah. That, that guy was a star, man. Uh, he's a he's not a all star. That guy is a superstar. Yes, there's a difference, and I think that he is the first superstar Memphis has ever had. I heard somebody say Jason Williams was the dumbest damn statement I ever heard in my life. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I won't even say the name of the person, but um, I think that John Morant will officially be the first superstar in Memphis because Pau Gasol was the first all-star. Yeah, Zach Randolph was an all-star. Mark was an all-star. John Morant is the first superstar. That guy is a transcendent player. That guy is the that guy's the first guy that'll make a person in California say, "I want to go buy a Memphis Grizzlies jersey." Yep, we and they already saying it. They saying it now. <laughs> They're already saying it. So mm -hmm. I think it's awesome. Jaron Jackson is going to feed off of John Morant. They got to get adjusted to playing with each other a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But I think we saw in that Laker game, and we had two young dudes under 23. Boy, we're under 21. That's 20. Just Brown and AD 20 apiece. <laughs> that is huge. Now, let's dream a little bit because it's always good to dream. Can you imagine a James Wiseman with that? Okay, let's just say that's too perfect. Can you imagine John Morant kicking out to a LaMelo ball? This is why Saturday was perfect. You got to see your young core grow and play great against probably an NBA contending, title contending team, and they still lost. That's just what you want. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but that is what you want because you want to keep that top four lottery pick. I believe that's what it is protected to you. Mm -hmm. Top four. If you can get it, if you can get a top four pick, if you can get a Lamelo Ball, if you can get an Anthony Edwards, if you can get a James Wiseman, any one of those three with those two guys, now you're talking playoffs. Hey, you know what's funny, Evan? It really just kind of dawned on me when you said you want to lose, and uh, I've kind of felt that way. Even looking at Taylor Jenkins, the way he kind of does things, it's like ah, I don't want to, you know, play John too much. He's playing too well, you know. But uh, <laughs> it's it's that, and I think. That could be part of the reason with Josh Jackson. They're kind of keeping him in the G League. It's like, hey, look, no, nah, you know, we don't need that right now. Um, next year, <laughs> you, know, you can come up and, and play with us. I kind of think that may be why that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Uh, but, uh, Justice, what you think? I mean, I, I think you can keep these guys and just let it marinate, though. Mm -hmm. When you look at Jaron Jackson Jr., and I'm, I'm going to get to John Morant because we know this guy's a superstar, but Jaron Jackson Jr., even tonight, uh, 28 points against the Pacers, 10 of 15 from the field, 6 of 8 from the three-point line, five boards. 6 of 8? Uh, <laughs> yeah. He is shooting a ridiculous percentage from the three-point line over his last 10 games. Uh, he's 48% from the field, 45% from three. 80% from the free throw line, and this is from a six foot 11, 200 
and 40-pound big man. Uh, now, the minutes, you know, you look at the minutes, he's averaging, you know, almost four fouls a game over the last 10. So he's not playing but 27 minutes. Imagine if he was playing 35 to 38 minutes a game. We're looking at a guy who's giving you 15 and five, but he's only playing 27 minutes. That's barely more than two quarters. So he's missing half of the game just about. So I think when you look at Jared Jackson long-term, you got to remember this. This summer, he was 19 years old. He turned 20 on um, September 15th. He won't be 21 until next season. I mean, he got a whole season and a summer before he even turns 21. Same for John Morant, uh, who, I mean, we, Evan alluded to it. This guy's a superstar. You know, 19 points a game, three boards, six assists, uh, the floaters, the mid-range, the left hand, dunking on you. I mean, he does just about everything. My my whole thing is just him staying healthy. Mm-hmm. But he's, play, he's playing 30 minutes a game. Now, um, over the last 10, the field goal percentage is starting to go down a bit because he was around 50. But that's to be expected. He's a rookie. But he's still he's shooting 38% from three. Uh, he's been really good. But the guy I think people are really sleeping on is Brandon Clark. Um, you know, now he's 23. He's a little bit older than, than these other guys. But when you look at it, his field goal percentage, even tonight, uh, he goes out. He's 6 of 14, 17 points, five boards, three assists, one steal, one block. Um, you know, in, in his last 10 games, he's given you 13 points a game, almost seven boards, shooting 87% from the line, 50 from the three, 65% from the field. He leads all rookies in field goal shooting. And what he did in college translated. He, he led the nation in shot blocking and field goal percentage. It's translated to the NBA. And he's got that shot that Sean Marion perfected, the mm-hmm. floater. Yep. And it, he makes it at regularity. He can shoot it all the way out to the free throw line. So when you talk about those three guys and then you you, you think about uh, Josh Jackson, who they've stashed, they low-key <laughs> stashed him yep. in the G League. Whenever you want to bring him up, I don't care. It doesn't even matter to me because all I need to do is just say this right here. In his last four games that he played, his last four NBA games, 17 points against Dallas, 12 against Houston, 35 against New Orleans, uh, 12 against Utah. They were all double-figure games. Um, now, he was getting the minutes, but this kid is a super talent, and somehow, some way, if the Grizzlies can get him in the fold, those are four guys, and, and then you can dream that somehow, some way, James Wiseman can fall to the Memphis Grizzlies because if they could get him, uh, and, you know, many people will talk about Anthony Edwards. I love Anthony Edwards. If, if you, you had to take a consolation prize like him, I wouldn't be disappointed one bit. But James Wiseman, in terms of a rim protector next to Jaron Jackson, in terms of a live threat for John Morant, in terms of a guy who just rebounds and blocks shots at a high level, I think he takes the Grizzlies. And all of a sudden, if you put him with those guys, they're close to a playoff team next year. Yes. That's how, that's how good I think they could be with him. Uh, that's one thing I think Jaron needs. Because Jaron, he, he's knocking down threes. Now, you, you got to respect it. He can score in the paint, but He's a, he's a, he's turned into a really good three point shooter, so uh, their future's bright. And uh, you know, even Dylan Brooks, he's been playing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so play. I think they got some guys that they can keep. You know, but Dylan Brooks, he needs to be coming off the bench for your team. I yep. think he's a guy that can come off the bench. I like the fact that they kept Jay Crowder, so they they got some good good players. I think they can they can move forward with. 
but it's going to be interesting to see what they do over the next couple of years. Because as you can see, the teams like the Portland Trailblazers, they, they're falling. They're at the bottom of the West. Yep. So things have changed. The Phoenix Suns have gone from worse to middle of the pack in the West all of a sudden. They're looking like they could contend for a playoff spot. So still a lot of uh, games to be played. But for Memphis, it's stay healthy and uh, continue to develop these young guys. And can you imagine, you know, Evan, you know, we're kind of talking about dreaming here, but I mean, let's just say John Morant, you know, Jaron Jackson, Brandon Clark, Josh Jackson, James Wiseman. That has to be the most athletic start long starting five, like in NBA history. I mean, that's, that's just absolutely insane. If you think about it. It just just off plain athleticism, let alone the rest of the skill. I mean, just think about that. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it, it, it is crazy, but one thing that I do want to point out, and uh, just as you can hit on if you want to, and tell me if I'm a little too early on this, I think it's an important time when we talk about player development for Taylor Jenkins. Uh, I think we're all familiar with Brent Brown and how the 76ers you know, just say, hey, we're going to deal with him. He, he's developing our young players. But they realize the guy can't coach. Yes. Embiid and, and Ben Simmons got good. Uh, and he has blown some series for him in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's an important time not only for Taylor Jenkins to show that he can develop, but he needs to show some with that clipboard too because we don't want a Brett Brown 2.0 in Memphis because I think we're going to be a little bit more harsh than Philly is. Uh, our basketball fans know basketball. Yep. Let's not get it twisted. And uh, I, I need to see a little bit more out of him, man. That's just my opinion. I agree a thousand percent. I mean, now, now those, those Philly fans, are, that, that's a hard fan base too now. They they, they booed uh, Markel Fultz up out of there. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. That's probably two of the tougher fan bases. I mean, they'll just, you know, they won't go to games. They'll boo you. You know, the Memphis fan base is really similar. I mean, we saw that with uh, – even with their football team, yeah. <laughs> with Brady White, they'll boo you if you're struggling. In fact, they did it to uh, the Grizzlies fan base. Did it to Pal Gasol. Yeah, they booed him out of town. Yep, Rudy so, Gay. So you're right about that. It, uh, but Jenkins, I mean, yeah, did it to Larry Finch. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. No, don't, don't even don't even get me started on that one. That that hurt me. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough because the Grizzlies are so young right now. It's the whole next year is just going to be about. You know, high flying and and John Morant looks good and Brandon Clark looks good and Jaron Jackson. Now I think early on you could have looked at him and said, well, what is he doing with Jaron Jackson? Why is he struggling? But at the end of the day, Jaron Jackson has got to keep himself on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is Jaron Jackson is young, his arms are so long, and he's trying to figure out how to control his body. It's like his arms are, are touching his knees, and he's but he's got a two hundred forty pound frame. And I think he's just trying to figure out how to control his body. And that's going to come with time. Three years from now, this kid will still only be 23 years old. I mean, I just can't believe how young these guys are and how much they've shown early on. Because LeBron James and that crew, the Lakers, they really had to play hard mm-hmm. to try to beat beat the uh, Grizzlies. It, it wasn't uh, one of those things where they just slept walk. It was like, you better bring it. Because when they came out with those teal – uh, old school Grizzly jerseys. Oh, man. oh I got I got to get one of those John Morant uh, throwback Grizzly jerseys. I need that. 
Man, that's crazy. And the crazy thing about it, you may see some out in L.A. You were talking about L.A. Uh, LeBron said his sons are big John Morant fans. I think they say he's their favorite player, one of their favorite players. Uh, so just imagine that visual. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's that's a pretty crazy, crazy dynamic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you'll probably see him and Zaire your way with one, but then they'll probably have on some uh, some little shorts like uh, – Mystic, yeah, man. <laughs> Stop it, please. Uh, I hope I hope that doesn't become a trend. No, nah, yeah, we can't let that become a trend, man. No, no, that's all hey, another hey, show. Justin, Justin. Hey, hey, Justin, Justice, man, I just want to throw something in because I know you guys going to end it. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the Portland Trail Blazers for bringing a future Hall of Famer back, Carmelo. My guy went for twenty five tonight. Nice with a two hand push. On Wendell Carter, welcome to the NBA. Facial, straight to the face, headshot. He dunked on him. Oh wow! He went for, he went for twenty five points, shot fifty percent from the field. Hey man, that's a good pickup for Portland man. Melo showing that he still can play in the NBA. When's the last Did the time Blazers get get the win tonight? I don't know, man. I just know Melo went. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know what? I knew he, I knew Justin's trying to throw goal. some shade. He's trying to throw no, some no, shade. No, no, no. Hey. I'm a mellow guy, believe okay. it or not. Okay. I mean, my whole thing with him was just acknowledge that you may or may not have to come off the bench. Now, he got lucky because Portland's so sorry. Uh, and I think Zach Collins got hurt. Yeah, I'm looking but, at a day 6 and 12, man. That, it's so early in the season. Yeah, they're going to have to. I mean, he had eight rebounds. Man, that boy went hell. Well, we, we've seen Portland reel off a bunch of wins. Uh, in past seasons, but I think it's going to be a little bit more tough this year because you got middle of the pack teams now. Well, look, look at this: the Dallas Mavericks were predicted to be down at, at you know somewhere in the eight nine range, and I mean Luka Doncic is you know the Ridiculous. best player in the NBA. <laughs> he you looking know, like let's, a... let's, let's think back to that draft. Remember when Luka Doncic came on the board? <laughs> oh man, I can't even look. I was wrong about that name. I can't even lie to you. I just was looking at the film. I mean, I couldn't have imagined him not being good because what he was doing in overseas, he's still doing. But I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy for the day. Yeah. Yeah, LeBron just covered his ass up. He did. LeBron. Well, I mean, he gave it back to him though. He did. They both. He should. Yeah. I mean, Luka Doncic is not a defensive player now. That's that much we do know. LeBron ain't Not anymore. Man, especially not now. Yeah, he's he's not Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan, I mean, he did both. Yeah, you're right. He's not Jordan. He don't lose in the first round. You're right. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> so here yeah. we go. Michael right. Jordan. I mean, well, I mean, you, but you got to make it to the first round too, man. Oh. oh. Yeah, you know. But but look, look let me let me get back right, to the play. I, I just wanted I just want to say, look, I'm happy to see Carmelo Anthony. Uh, I, I hope the Blazers can somehow reel off some wins. And I just want to see him give me one of those game winners, one of those Carmelo game winners, like you know he can make. I want to see that. But uh, you got some teams in the West that were good: the Spurs, Thunder, Warriors. Uh, they're all down. They're all down. And then now you got Suns, Timberwolves. They're all of a sudden in the mix. So uh, along with the Mavericks, so the NBA has uh, changed in the West. And then there we go. My, my Nuggets at twelve and three. Uh, they took Mal- uh, Malik Beasley out of the lineup, and that's when they took off. 
So I think he's on the trading block. If I'm the Grizzlies, I try to give up bigger dollar to get Beasley because he's a young player that I think could add, could go in with what they do. And I don't know if they'll give up uh, Juan Her- uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, but he's another guy that I, I wouldn't mind if, if the Grizzlies could get their hands on. Because I think Hernan Gomez can come off the bench for you and give you something. And they go so justice they, they just, uh, showing off his, uh, you know, foreign player, uh, hey. you know, breakdown. One Remember the name, Wancho Hernan Gomez. When he ends up involved in that trade for Iguodala and Malik Beasley, just remember the name. Wancho the Taco. Uh, I said, man, what the hell you just say? What's his name? Juan Wancho Hernan Gomez. They call him Wancho. What Justin just said. Yeah, it sounds like a Taco Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? It do sound like a fire taco, don't it? It really do. I, I, I can sure go for a wancho right now. I ain't gonna lie. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, or at least some ponchos uh, cheese. Yes. Shout out to ponchos. Oh man, over with. <laughs> but anyway, man, I think that's gonna do it for us today. Unless anybody else got something else to say about something. Now, I will say this: I didn't. When you said um, Mellow dunked on Wendell Carter, I'm trying to remember the last time Mellow dunked. So I'm shocked at that. Let, let he alone. went baseline. He faced up classic Carmelo sweep through, which is a lost art in the game. That that that, that sweep through was a lost art. Went baseline, two hand punched on him. Man, I got to look that up. I ain't seen Melo do number layups the last two years. So well, you got to remember now. This is the lean Carmelo. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah, though he's wearing he, the double zero. Yeah. But he always could do that. But what Carmelo liked to do, he he would just uh, flush it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he actually is one of the guys that made flushing popular because he instead of you know hanging on the rim, he would just you know barely tap it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true, man. But that's gonna do it for us today, man. Deliberation Sports Podcast. We done touched on just about everything you could possibly touch on from. LeBron to John Morant to Wancho Pancho Cheese and all of that stuff, man. So that's going to do it for us on today. Uh, another great show. Uh, Justice Man, remind the people where they can go to follow all things about deliberation. They can follow us on Twitter at Deliberation SP1, Instagram, Facebook, Deliberation Sports Podcast. We also had a Facebook group, Deliberation Sports Community. And to subscribe, you can do so via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Pocket Bean, Pocket Caster, wherever podcasts are hosted, they'll be sure to find the Deliberation Sports Podcast. That's it. That's it, man. Be sure y'all do it and uh, have the notifications on for the next time we go live. You never know when that'll be. Uh, so without any further ado, I'm Josh Midget along with the Deliberation Sports crew, Evan DeVode and Justice Bolden, and we will talk to you guys next time.